My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. For Ash Wednesday this year, our campus ministry at Montclair State University gave out books to everyone who attended Mass. We've been getting something like this each year. It's a small, what they call, devotional that contains scripture verses and themes that are based on the readings for the week, and usually a short two- or three-page reflection for each day. And when going through a variety of options for this year of different books that were available, this one title really stood out, Give Up Worry for Lent. A good friend who works with us shared that she had used this book a few years ago and gave it rave reviews, which backed up the publisher's claim that this was a bestseller and helped explain why it was the most expensive option of all the options, but I digress. That shouldn't be surprising. Who doesn't worry? The list of things from war, economic woes, angry and divisive rhetoric in the public square that seems different, more intense, with fewer signs of reconciliation on the horizon. Not even to get into all the personal things that individuals experience, whether it's marital struggles, health of a loved one, the loss of someone close to us, anxiety for children. Any of those things can make a person feel like they're the only ones going through that experience. Yet when you have a genuine and sincere conversation with others, you find how universal all those things really are. There's plenty to worry about. So a small guide given out on Ash Wednesday inviting people to give up worry for Lent 
was definitely a popular option as we gave out hundreds of copies. What's comical, though, is you can never underestimate a college student's ability to spin things. There was one student who, when they saw the book, thought this was a far better alternative to making some other sacrificial act or penitential practice, as they said, that sounds great. I can keep drinking coffee every day and I won't be anxious anymore. Not exactly what we were going for, but she was very excited to take her copy. Another student, a couple of days after Ash Wednesday, was in the Newman Center. And she was going, he was going through a litany of things that was going wrong in his life and pointing to the book saying, it's not working. Of course, this raises a lot of questions like, what were their expectations when they picked up a copy of the book? To something more practical, like asking, are they actually reading the book or not? Because sadly, some think simply carrying a book, agreeing with the premise, that should just make it a reality. Call it the Amazon effect of the nation. We order something, we just expect it to be delivered. That might work in ordering groceries or additional copies of a physical book. But the desired change doesn't just land on our doorsteps. If we want to be free of worry, it requires a bit more effort on our part. For one thing, they might actually have to read and consider the thoughts that the author is presenting. But spoiler alert, it's nothing groundbreaking or anything really new or different from what we can already find in Scripture. It's just being presented in a new way. Some of which is what we encounter these first two Sundays of Lent. Every year, the church presents us on the first and second Sundays of Lent a pattern. It's temptation followed by transfiguration. The first Sunday will always feature one of the gospel accounts of Jesus being tempted in the desert, and the second Sunday is always one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' transfiguration, and that's intentional. Ash Wednesday, when we started Lent, we were invited to follow Jesus' example of his entering 40 days in the desert where he fasted and prayed. He does that, and he invites us to join him spiritually as a way of being attentive to our hearts, to reflect on all that's going on deep within, to recognize all the, the conflicts we find there, how many things compete for our attention. We know all the good things that we're called to do. We know all too well how often in our weakness we can fall into sin and make bad choices. We have these deep longings and aspirations that the Holy Spirit keeps laying on our hearts for peace and for love. We hear all these different opinions in our world, lots and lots of voices trying to convince us that they have the answers to those things, which seems to convince people to ascribe sometimes to different philosophies or purchase more things or isolate and leave people further from that fulfillment of peace and love that they sought when they first started. Lent invites us to enter into that spiritual desert that we create with fasting and prayer and giving so that we can have some fewer distractions, maybe a bit more quiet and focus, and very gently but honestly look at all those things in each of our heart where so much of our worry comes from. And as we do that, the church gives us these first two Sundays, temptation and transfiguration, to help us to be clear about the two diametrically opposed options that exist.
Last Sunday, we focused on how the devil operates. We remembered his temptation of Adam and Eve, that he's a liar. He's constantly manipulating the truth. Like when he asked them, did God really tell you not to eat of any of the trees in the garden? When in fact, we knew the truth. No, it wasn't any tree. God had been very specific in particular that they could eat from any tree with the exception of the one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the devil proposed a lack of trust in God and in his goodness. He tempts them with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and pride. And he's so unoriginal. That's the same playbook that he uses over and over throughout history. So we have this clarity about how the devil operates and what his voice sounds like. Today, we focus on the voice of God. That amazingly, the eternal God, the creator of all that was, is, and ever will be, the great king of the universe who by his providence continues to sustain life from the rising and setting of the sun to the very breath in our lungs and the beat of our hearts, that he wants to be in relationship with you and me, with the creatures that he has made and fashioned in his own image. Despite the, the history of setbacks and failures where we have fallen for the voice of the tempter, we have given into the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride, all of which breaks his heart. What's of greater value to him is when we listen to him, hear his voice calling us to turn back to him, to run to him, to trust him. Over and over, Jesus will reiterate that point in the Gospels, whether it's that beloved parable of the prodigal son, or when he says things like, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. In our first reading today, from the book of Genesis, we hear the beginnings of the story of our great father in faith, Abraham. It's so early in the story that his name isn't even Abraham yet, it's Abram. At this point in the story, Abram and his wife Sarai, whose name hasn't been changed to Sarah yet either, they're dealing with some, some very relatable things, very human things. They're married for decades. There's been struggles and setbacks, most notably with their inability to have any children of their own. And that's caused them heartache. That's caused tension in their extended family, especially when we think about 3,000 years ago when things like family name and legacy had even greater meaning and importance. So much so that Abram's father takes him and Sarai with him to go establish a land and a home and a legacy, and then takes another grandson who is Abram's nephew named Lot to be with them in this new enterprise. Can you imagine how that must have gone over? All that brokenness, all that animosity and disappointment, all the compromise that it had to exist there the tension. And into all that, God speaks to Abram in the scripture and invites him to go forth from the land of your kinsfolk and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. The voice of God is calling Abram to let go of all that he knew, all that was familiar, and step out in faith and begin this journey 
and more importantly, to enter into deeper intimacy with the God that humanity had kept finding ways of rejecting and hurting. In the Gospel of the Transfiguration, our attention understandably often goes immediately to all the the dramatic events where we hear recounted how these three of Jesus' closest apostles, Peter, James, and John, have a, a glimpse of the glory of Easter, of the resurrection, which is yet to come. None of which Jesus needed for himself. It's not like he didn't know who he was or what he was going to accomplish. This was not the first time he had met Moses and Elijah. He was fully God and fully man, so all those realities were not new to him. This was for Peter, James, and John. Because throughout the Gospels, we see the the struggle that these former fishermen turned apostles have in following Jesus. Just leaving their nets by the seashore and their families and everything that they knew to be his disciple, that was only the beginning. Their hearts and their minds are, are constantly being blown and shattered and reordered. The stakes are constantly increasing. So here they are now on, the, on this mountaintop with Jesus, and they see a glimpse of the glory to be fulfilled in the resurrection. And Peter's reaction is, we've made it. Let's stay here. Let's build tents. And who can blame Peter? After so many promising starts and setbacks himself and following Jesus, when he finally gets a glimpse of this glory, he doesn't want it to end. Yet God never offers a blessing simply for our own self-interest. He wants all humanity to know that the only way to end the struggles with sin, the only way to break through to a world that keeps experiencing war and division, the only hope for genuine peace and love to be fulfilled, not just in the here and now, but for all eternity, comes when we listen to God the Father's voice inviting us to listen to him. For Abram, when he listens to God's call to obey, calling him to trust, the seemingly impossible is made spectacularly real in a way that surpasses Abram's greatest of hopes and dreams. The childless couple will see Abram become not just the biological father that will heal some of those deepest personal pains that he and his wife have been carrying for decades, but how he would become the father to countless numbers as he becomes the beloved earthly human patriarch to all the families of God. His obedience will begin to restore all the the chaos that disobedience and sin had unleashed. And now God's chosen people will have a new identity. They're no longer going to be seen as this lost, faithless people. No, they're going to become a great nation who are blessed by God, all by Abram's decision to heed God's invitation and to listen to him. For Peter, James, and John, they're blessed with this vision to see past their own limitations, past their personal past with all their sins and failures, and to have this this glimpse of the glory that God isn't just offering to them, but for all humanity. And Peter has to accept that, no, it's not as simple as just making some accommodations up there on the mountain. God wants to draw all humanity to become his children. And for that to happen, they have to go down. 
They have to enter back into the brokenness that humanity continues to make of God's creation and tell them all is not lost. Those deep longings for peace and love are possible, but that there is only one way for them to be fulfilled. In Jesus, the beloved Son, in whom the Father is well pleased, and heeding this invitation to listen to him. Because Abraham, Peter, James, and John did that, this message of salvation has come down to us here in 2023. But it was more than just hearing and agreeing with the premise. It involved responses on their parts, which meant change for them, which demanded shifts of priorities, and most of all required that they put more faith and trust in God and in his promises than in whatever feelings of fear or worry they were experiencing. So where is God calling you to go? What is he asking you to do? Who does he want you to become this Lent? There's an answer that's specific to each and every one of us here that's as personal and unique and beautiful as each and every one of us are as God's beloved sons and daughters. An answer that, in fact, can give us more than just giving up worry for Lent, but even more will enlist us in becoming part of bringing his message of mercy and salvation to a hurting and a waiting world. Moving from temptation to transfiguration, though, requires that we reject the devil's twists and lies and manipulations and temptations that wants to keep us doubting and afraid. Turning away from those things, making an examination of conscience and repenting of them by going to confession and being resolved of those things. That's such an important thing for us to do during Lent. And then listening to where God's inviting us to move. All these things can be frightening, but very movingly, this gospel account ends where Peter, James, and John are experiencing those very feelings of fear. And they raise their eyes and they see Jesus alone. And they hear him very lovingly tell them, rise, do not be afraid. He would not abandon them and he will not abandon us if we but heed the Father's voice to listen to him.